Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest of Welcome, ladies and germs, boils and ghouls, creatures of all ages. Tonight, it is Halloween Eve, and you are listening to another episode of Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G., welcoming you back to this episode. We were supposed to be talking about the Doc's check tonight. Unfortunately, he can't be a part of the festivities, so it turns to me. So I decided to pick from 1988, the Tim Burton film, Beetlejuice. But without further ado, I want to bring on one of my hosts, I'm going to say right off the bat, Gookie, 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 it's showtime. It is mischief night, bitches. That's what it is. I know you want to call it Halloween's Eve and all of that, man, but you know what? This was the night of which the demons come out and kitties of all shapes and sizes, sexes, genders, whatever they want to call themselves these days, should be collecting their eggs and getting their TP and shaving cream bombing the shit out of everything. Well, hello, I everybody. Absolutely agree. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Ghoul. Can't wait to talk about Beetlejuice later on in the show with you. But we're also joined by that psychotic simian, the mad monkey, ready to hand out the candy corn to all the little good boys and ghouls out there. Monkey. <laughs> Hey there, Fright fans. This is Talking Terror's Maniacal Mad Monkey here for a very special Halloween Eve episode. Here for Wit slash Mischief Night Ghoul. Thank you. <laughs> With your Talking Terror host. Um, looking forward to a very fun night tonight. Oh, let's get the show going. Hi, All right. Hi, Goo. How you doing, Goo? <laughs> <laughs> So, so monkey. Okay, I mean, let's. I'm yeah. just gonna fucking throw right out there. Okay, the, the the fucking you know the proverbial elephant is in the fucking room. How in God's name did you grow up not knowing what mischief night was? Seriously, dude, man, where we grew we grew up, we did not have mischief night. This, uh, I did not learn about mischief like official mischief night until I first started dating the diva, and she would tell me about this awesome, awesome night that they would have in Jersey, which was the night before Halloween, and going out and doing all kinds of pranks and jokes and stuff like that. And where I grew up, things like doing the egging, the toilet paper, and all that was actually done on Halloween night, but we did not have an actual mischief night that apparently was completely fine with the parents and stuff like that. So... For those of you who did not grow up with Mischief Night, do not know what Mischief Night is. King and Ghoul, how about you tell our lovely fans at home what this awesome night is? Well, I think first well, off, for, yeah. Go ahead, first Joel. off, before we get into all that, I'm sorry, I just, I just, I just have to just interject one last, one last question. That's all it is, really. And then I'll yeah. let you explain away. Monkey, what yes. part of Middle Earth are you from? <laughs> The 
part where we weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween. <laughs> Fuckers. So please yes. explain away. Explain away what Mischief Night is. Well, I'm going to give uh, wait around to the monkey to give us some history on Mischief Night because he does seem pretty well versed now in it. But for me, Mischief Night was always the night before Halloween. That's when you got together with your friends. Like the ghoul had said, you grab some eggs, you grab some shaving cream, you grab some soap, and you just go around your neighborhood TPing trees, houses, throwing uh, eggs at houses, throwing them on cars, just randomly causing mischief. Uh, there was a couple of broken down cars that we used to smash windows out of. Oh, we would soap windows. Oh, okay. Well, see, we, we did the same. Yeah, we yeah, would soap car windows. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we would soap car windows and things like that. We would break windows on, like, old abandoned cars that we would find, you know, scattered around, you know, in the old salvage yards. So, yeah, we would just have fun and just cause mischief. And that's what it came from. So, go over here some of your memories of mischief night. Uh, again, for us, I mean, it was a very similar thing, you know, wandering the neighborhood with – you know, thankfully, I was lucky enough to have a mom who was a real pain in the ass most of the time. But every now and again, she did drop these really cool moments, man. And one of them was my mother's, like, complete and utter support of Mischief Night. You know, she would definitely supply me with the eggs and have no problem doing it. You know, it was my mother who taught me the trick with the shaving cream where you take a pin, stick it in the nozzle where the shaving cream comes out, and use a lighter to melt mm-hmm. it around the pin. Yep. Then pull out the pin, and now you've got something that can shoot a good 10 to 20, 30 feet sometimes, depending on how you shape <laughs> that pin. So, you know, motherfuckers want awesome. to put a little bit of shaving They want to put a little shaving cream in their hand and try to get you, but meanwhile, you can blast them from a distance, you know, like, stay back, motherfuckers. I got mace. Um, you had to get the barbersol. You had to get the barbersol cam to do that. I know what trick you're talking you know, about. Barbara Saul is but, uh, yeah. But, well, yeah, water and tell. We tried not to to destroy things in a manner of, you know, we, we weren't breaking things as far as windows and whatnot, but we were definitely giving people stuff to have to fucking clean. You know, TPing their trees, oh, TPing yeah. their cars, egging the shit out of their houses, and, and all of that kind of stuff, all while trying to keep the lowest possible profile imaginable and not get caught. So the trick for Mischief Night was to, to just know that you needed two costumes for Halloween. Oh, yeah. You needed a basic, yep. basic cheap costume to hide yourself with for Mischief Night, and then you had your regular costume on Halloween. Always had to have a disguise on both nights. <clears throat> two different ones, yes. Mm. You're correct on that. But uh, Monkey, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hit us with some mission history. You know, if fucking Red, if, if Red Riding Hood egged you the night before and then you see the little bitch coming up to your door to get some candy, I don't think you're going to be all that pleased with her, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. And, Go and on, that was the other, and that was the other thing that Diva was telling me, though, was, again, like the ghoul had said, the parents actually taught the kids the tricks for, uh, Mischief Night. Mischief Night was very much encouraged to get up there, cause trouble and mayhem, um, but at the same time, it's all supposed to be very innocent, no permanent damage to anything. You know, it's all good fun. And the neighborhood where she grew up in, the parents were usually, like, just chilling out on the porches, talking to each other, you know, having a beer or two while the kids just ran amok through the neighborhood, you know, just tearing it up. And then, the, like the ghoul had said, the next day, the entire neighborhood is just covered in toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. Toilet paper and shaving cream and soap and everything else you could find. I always mm-hmm. love the jack-o'-lanterns alone. 
I knew a couple of kids that like to smash him, but I was always kind of faithful to old Saint, uh, you know, Sam Ain, Salwin. Yeah. And I always left the jack o' lanterns alone. You never touched them. That was my only rule when I used to hang out my friends. I'm never going to smash a jack o' lantern. Like to me, it's sacrilege. You might as well break a cross, you know, while you're at it. Yeah. You know, that's how sacrilegious <laughs> I was to Halloween. You know, I never did. That. But uh, Monkey, why don't you hit us with some history yeah. about Mischief Night? Yeah, and I just found out pretty much Mischief Night started in uh, England. It was all part of Guy Fawkes Day. Um, and then it's, you know, as people started to immigrate over from Europe, over into <clears throat> northeastern United States, they just started doing it the night before Halloween and carrying a lot of the stuff over from there. Like, well, uh, Guy Fox, it was, you know, lots of firecrackers and stuff like that. It was quieter <laughs> over here in the United States because, again, like Gulf said, Trying not so much to get caught because it wasn't really a thing. Then later in the 30s and 40s, it was uh, being pushed as a night to celebrate just to get all of of the um, <clears throat> excuse me, all of the tension out, you know, all of the mayhem out, so that trick or treating could just be a good wholesome time for families going out and getting candy. You know, it's a way to get all of the fun out. You know, a way to get all that uh, pent up, you know, just fun out, all that excitement. Get it out and just mm. cause mischief for one night. That way, in Halloween, you could just go trick or treating. You know, you're all fine. You know, you're mm. all calm because you just did all the egging and all the TPing the night before. Now you just want the candy. Yeah, and then you know that was just family's ways of saying, you know, go ahead, go out, have fun, make mischief. But then Halloween night, you know, is. A, a family night where everyone can go out and be safe and not have to worry about going out, you know, being in trouble that night. Completely agree. It was always fun. I'm sorry that you missed that on it, Monkey. I think you would have had a lot of fun hanging out with uh, oh, the ghoul yeah. and I on you know, mischief night. Yeah, it's just when the yeah, diva I mean, told again, me about so... this, I, I was just like, wow, Did something like that actually existed? <laughs> yep. I mean, again, I really, I, you know, like I know in some some areas it's called Devil's Night. You know, some areas it's called, uh, I don't know, I guess somewhere in New York they call it Goosey Night. I have no idea what that they means. They do. Yeah, upstate New York. Um, you know, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, they call it Moving Night. They call it Cabbage Night in Canada, whatever that is. And I guess in New Hampshire they call it Gate Night. So not, you know. Game Night or Gate Night? Gate, gate, G-A-T, okay. like open the gate. I guess open mm. the gate to hell and allow the demons to run and play. Yeah, I know Detroit and Baltimore, they really get into the festivities from this show night. I remember over the years seeing that on the news and things like that, but I take it a little bit too far. Where it's like, oh, you're going to get violent. No, no, not a mischief night. Put the bats down, boys. <laughs> not that that's the holiday. Sometimes they're angry, man. It's, it's all about getting them demons out. Demons, yeah, man. it is. Demons. So, so, yeah, kill the demons. Oh, oh, oh yeah. demons just running through my body. Oh, sorry, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, so, yeah, Halloween Eve, mischief night. Gate night, goosey night, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's just a fun precursor to the event of October 31st, Halloween, the most hallowed of holidays, if you ask me. Right? Uh, so that's a yeah. fun little thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, chat some Creep Show, shall we? Monkey, I know you're really excited to be talking about the latest episode of Creep Show, episode five, season one. 
Uh, why don't you take us through your thoughts on the episode? Mm. Yeah, we had on, on this episode, we have Night of the Paul, which um, I thought was a really interesting laid back story that uh, just again fell right into the creep show vibe. It just had, again, that comfortable, comfortable, warm, fuzzy feeling that it had. A very small cast, but at the same time, very strong story. Very, very strong story for that one. Um, and I just really, really enjoyed that one. And um, then we just had this uh, fun piece of Times is Tough and Musky Holler, where it was just – it that one took me completely by surprise. It, like, just hit me up – you know, it was like getting hit upside the head by a two by four. I was not expecting that content to be in this series. And I was just like, that was some heavy, heavy shit that they threw at you in tough times and times of tough and musky holler. <laughs> okay. So what do you uh, guys cool. you think about uh, the uh, two segment school? Oh, I mean, again, going with these two segments in particular, I mean, listen, Night of the Paw is just the, the monkey's paw. We've, yep. I've read that in high school. I've seen mm-hmm. variations of that very same story plenty of times. They didn't do anything original with it. It was well-performed. It was fun. Uh, times is tough in Muskie Holler. You know, like I've been finding, especially since I've watched the, the last three episodes within the last two days, um, it's been very uneven, you know, with each episode. The, 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 the segments are fun. I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not enjoying them, because I am. I am very happy that this has been renewed for another season. I'm watching every one of these episodes. I'm looking forward to each one. And even the segments that I feel are weak are still entertaining. But it just feels like, you know, you get one good one and one eh episode like each one so like for this one like night of the paw i guess would be the good portion of it and musky holler like i wanted to like it i really did but it just felt so disjointed and it didn't really tell a story you know in in any way that that really made me feel like okay now i get what's actually going on here and by the time look by the time it's over yes i understand zombies took over this guy was a dick and you know this was their their revenge on it um, I mean, I think out of all the stories so far, the ones I've liked the most are actually the man in the suitcase and the companion. Oh, yeah. Uh, from, you know, those two I really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, going back with Night of the Paw and uh, Times is Tough at Muskie Holler. Uh, yeah, the Night of the Paw, if I had to pick the segment that I like the best, I guess I would say Night of the Paw, and that's just because of Bruce Davidson. Because I'm a fan of his, I like his acting style. I thought he was great in the episode. Uh, yeah. So I guess it was okay. I mean, I just like always think X Men Willard. X Men Willard, um, couple of more uh, the into gods. A fucking, he turned into a fucking jellyfish <laughs> in X Men. You know what I mean? Like, that's just you're never gonna forget. You know. So it was fine. It was it was suitable, but I had time. I had a tough time, literally. But sometimes it's tough at, at Musky Holler because it, it bored me. I just I wasn't really engaged in the story. I didn't like the fact that they spent so much time on the comic book panels to tell you exactly yeah. what happened. Like this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened, and now we're here. And then you get to the grand finale where they're in the uh, the baseball field and they're starting to get picked off, and they don't even show it to you. They just show you X's over the faces, going, "Oh, now he's dead. Oh, now he's gone. Now he's gone." And then 
you get a little bit of a payoff at the end with the mayor getting his face ripped off by the former mayor who's now a zombie. And I was like, it's okay. But it's a weak, disjointed story that takes like two seconds to tell you the entire story about the zombies. And everything else in the beginning, just there was a lot of dialogue and a lot of exposition that it kind of bored me. Like I was kind of glad that it was a shorter of the two segments because I don't really need a longer mm-hmm. story. I thought I would have been even more bored if that was the lead-off. If that was the A story, I think I would have been turned off by the entire episode. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with you about the shortcuts that they're doing in this show with um, the, the panels. Because like I told you, with Bad Wolf Down, you know, I wasn't happy yeah. with the transformation sequence. And it, I, I know what you're talking about here because definitely in Muskie Holler, they used a lot of panels in this one. Um, Way too many. It, yeah, um, but I just, you know, despite what you guys said, I, I enjoyed the setup for that episode. I enjoyed the beginning of the episode of just the feel that it was giving with the whole, you know, being in the cell, being strapped to the chairs and stuff like that. And I was enjoying where it was possibly going. But then, yeah, it, you know, in it gave, definitely gave me a feel of dread about what was getting ready to happen. But then, yes, a lot of it did get ruined and taken away from the extensive use of panels on that particular skit. Yeah, and, and like the goal had brought up uh, with episode four, uh, the companion and uh, Linda Lane's bad day with the two segments. I mean, again, it was hard because both of them were kind of weak. I thought that was like the weakest episode so far was episode four because I didn't really feel engaged by either story. But I was like, eh, if I got to say I got to pick one. I would say the companion because both of them were a bit of a slog and just hard to get into. And I was glad when they were over the first three were the best, I think so far of, of having two segments that really kind of worked and not this one though. Not four. And five. Yeah, absolutely. And like the ghoul said, like, you know, man in the suitcase is like one of the strongest ones that they've had so far, where it's just, you know, it was good, solid stories, great anthology piece. You know, it was original. You and I, yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was a very unique story. You know what I mean? Like figuring out, like what, like yeah, we kind of guessed that he might be. You know, when he started spitting out the gold, we were like, all right, maybe he's some kind of genie. But like to go the route that they did and the way they did it, and then that whole end sequence was just, yeah, I really, really dug it. You know, like when it was all said and done, I was like, that was fucking great. It was. It was so great. I love how they presented Agreed. it. You know, you have your good characters, you have your bad characters. It, it was really just a lot of fun um, to see them do that. Uh, but it was a strong was hot. two seconds. Uh, oh, yeah, especially when he just coins <laughs> up her stomach. I was like, okay, I like that. <laughs> you know, but, uh-huh. um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the finale, uh, which airs tomorrow night on Shudder at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But like the Gould said, it has been hired on for season two. So Creepshow Woo-hoo! will be back. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just hoping that they ended on a really good note because, like I said, four and five were a little bit troublesome for me in terms of story because I just I was kind of bored. And I was like, the first three were so solid, so good, <laughs> you know, and to have four and five kind of be a downgrade to what we had seen already. Uh, it was kind of it was kind of sad. See, I kind of like the little twist that they did with the companion. You know, I know it's your typical scarecrow come to life, but at the same time, I liked how they kind of, they changed it up a little bit. It's got the heart that the woman sewed, man. Yeah, I I, I like the effects. I like the, the practical effects I love. 
Um, I thought it was great. But I just I wasn't a fan of the overall episode mm-hmm. as far as the story goes. I felt like it took too long to get there. Um, and then All Hallows Eve in that same episode, I picked it out right from the get-go. I'm like, they're fucking dead kids. I was the- – and that was yeah, that was yeah. the episode with the suitcase. But uh, yeah, yes, that yeah. definitely was like a real easy one to to see. I saw it coming a mile away, and I'm like, they're dead, and they're coming for revenge. That's why Man in the Suitcase won it for me. I was like, it kind of redeemed that episode because they had such a great second mm. segment to close out the episode. As compared to Owl's Howl's Eve, which I wanted to love, I wanted to like it, but unfortunately, that tale was so easy to make, especially if you're yeah, a horror fan. You know it. See, but that's the thing, though. I don't think it made it any weaker. I thought, you know, the segment was still a, a decent segment just because I knew the entire time that they were dead. I mean, that's just because we're horror fans and we see that kind of shit, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, definitely, I think a, a casual horror fan won't see it coming. Um, I, Monkey, did you see that call coming, <clears throat> that they're dead, or was, did you take a little while to get it? Well, I was it, for me, it was either they were dead or they were like a um, teenage gang that went around once a year and did shit. You know, it was it was a vi- like I was getting it as a vibe of either one of those two was, it was they were either coming back for revenge or they were just doing like a Clockwork Orange kind of thing and going around just causing <clears throat> mayhem through the town once a year. Since they kept referring to them as a gang, you know, the Golden Dragons and this and that. You know how 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 come you come back once a year and think you can get away with whatever you want to do? You know, so I was thinking it was going to be either one of those two things. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed the sequence uh, segment. You know, for me, it was fun. <clears throat> and, again, again n- not uh, overusing the panels. So yeah. so that's yeah. why I enjoyed that particular episode. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears a little bit to American Horror Story, last week, episode yep. 100 hit on FX. Uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on it because I thought that it had a good payoff. I thought it was a lot of fun where you get to find out where these characters are, not only in 84, but 85 and 1989. So we're going to do a little bit of time jumps here or there in the episode. And I thought it had some really great payoffs, especially with Mr. Jingles, how he's now in Alaska raising a family, but things don't go so well. They ended it with the motherfucking Smiths. How soon is now? Thank you very much, American Horror Story, Ryan Murphy. I fucking love you for that because that's one of my favorite Smith songs. Uh, but I'm going to kick it off with the ghoul. What do you think about episode 100, AHS 1984? I mean, listen, it's the 100th episode of the series. Um, the fact of the matter is they're obviously doing something right this season because I'm still watching. Uh, it's not yeah. like the season with Cult where it lost, I lost interest, you know. I, I may not be watching, obviously, the night of because we're doing this. Um, but, you know, we're watching it typically within you know, a few days after the fact. Um, but, again, it's, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was an interesting way to change things up, especially as we had said last week, where we really didn't know what they were going to do next because of how they ended everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Monkey, your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Okay. For this, uh, uh, again, I'm not not into American Horror Story like you guys are, but I've been watching this season, having fu- a lot of fun with this season. But for something that's labeled Episode 100, and it's supposed to be a pinnacle moment for American Horror Story, I was just expecting to get slapped in the face with something harder. It's I I felt like. While it was fun that they found a way to continue the stories, again, after the way the last episode, Red Dawn, 
concluded, this all feels more like epilogue to me. This does not feel like mm-hmm. a continuing story. It's like, again, because the end of Red Dawn was such a great ending to that episode, and that should have been the end of the series, in my opinion. They should have put that bit and then put it at the very end. But it's like, again, we start to do the time jumping. Uh, I was just having fun that uh, Mont- uh, Montana Xavier are still going around as causing hell at the campground and stuff like that. Um, you know, but fortunately, our porn star Oh yeah, spoilers by the way. <laughs> Our porn star yeah. is not dead, and I and I was just Trevor so happy to actually. He's alive. I was just so happy to see him back on screen, you know. And for them to take him and then give his storyline a bit of a twist, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's just roll with it. Um, but uh, you know, and we'll get to you in a second, King. The only thing I just wanted to go is, you know, the fact that Mister Jingles is working in a VHS store in Alaska, which was the the pl- the last place that until like two years ago where you could find a blockbuster video. That was the still last there. place. No, it's closed down. Is it? Ah, I thought it was still there. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Nope. It, no. It closed down. Uh, yeah. Um, but I just I just found that as a cute little bit there that he's working in a video store in the place where the last video store in the United States will end up being. <laughs> but King, what did you think of this episode? Oh, like I said, I gave my thoughts, but there's some things that I didn't want to talk about. Like we said, Trevor, he's still alive. He got stabbed by Margaret, but not killed. He ended up in the hospital, fully knowing that Margaret is responsible for these killings. Um, he wants to kind of blackmail her, but instead she decides to say, well. If you want my riches and my wealth, then we have to get married because you can't testify me as a spouse. So he's kind of Uh stuck in this rut where, yeah, he's got all the money in the world. He could do all the coke he wants. He could drink as much as he wants, but he's kind of stuck to being Margaret's husband. Margaret's now a big real estate mogul flipping serial killer houses like Ed Gein's house in Wisconsin, like Spawn Ranch, uh, John Wayne Gacy's house. So she's known for all these serial killer homes and flipping them for a profit. Um, but she's starting to lose money in the episode, which is really just fun. Yeah. Fuck that, yeah, man. You I know just what, dude? I, I don't know what he's complaining about. You know what? I Call me a dick. Call me petty. Call me whatever the hell you want, man. The fact yep. of the matter is, is my ass would keep my mouth shut, and I would be yep. doing all kinds of wicked, nasty, horrible things. I would probably oh, yeah. end up with the fucking AIDS virus somehow, but I would hope that I could cure it. <laughs> Yeah, and I loved. No, I just wanted to jump in and say I loved that lifestyles with rich and famous segment that they threw in there. That was Fantastic. so fucking funny. <laughs> um, but to see Richard Ramirez in uh, Mexico, starting off in Hollywood and then going on to Mexico with uh, with Mr. Jingles, and then going into the store, this is actually the real life way of how Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, got caught. Somebody had actually seen him go into a convenience store saw a newspaper with his face on it, and the neighborhood basically formed a mob and chased after him and beat the fuck out of him And oh, before really? the police arrived. Oh, yeah. This actually happened. So it was kind of cool to see American Horror Story taking the real-life version of the Richard Ramirez getting captured and putting it into the show. It wasn't Jingles, obviously, in real life, but it was a mob that formed to chase him down, beat him up until the police arrived so they could arrest him and put him on death row for what he did. Um, but to see Jingles... 
not being okay with the murders, even though he did make an allegiance to Satan. He doesn't want any part of it anymore. He just wants to drink tab and not let Richard kill anymore. <laughs> so him going Oreo from there to <laughs> Yeah, because he doesn't want to listen to Billy Idol Black Sabbath anymore. He's tired of that. He wants to listen to some Mario Speedwagon. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, working for Video Shack with his wife and his kid, knowing full well that this all might catch up to him one day, and it does, and it leads to him having his wife killed and having to leave his baby with uh, the wife's sister, and then going back to Camp Redwood where it all began. And so he wants to end this thing. Um, and, yeah, to see Dakota and Xavier killing because they can and Ray having to constantly clean up these bodies – Great, because Ray's like a little bitch. You know, he doesn't want to take yeah. the killings. Uh, <laughs> I'm tired of yeah. cleaning up after you guys, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, you gotta, you gotta it, kill everybody. <laughs> you know, and it leads to these bodies being found at Camp Redwood, which you find out that Margaret still owns. Um, and then she finds the – she's going to do the Camp Redwood Festival, which is going to be a food and music festival where everybody's going to be able to come – and see, basically every single fucking 80s band that you could possibly think of in one festival. Yeah. Billy Idol, Men at Work, yeah. Jesse Gibson, <laughs> Tiffany. No, Jesse, no. Tears um, no. are on there, no. Belinda Carlisle, yeah. with the Go-Go's. Yeah, uh, Sexy Runners. Uh, yeah, Men Without Hats. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I every just loved band, it when, when they were going through the stuff and her assistant walks in. Okay, and it was just that little short gay fucker from Will and Grace, and oh, mm-hmm. just like, oh my my, Karen, what have we got here? I was like, oh my god, he's back. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was in previous American Horror Story seasons. He was in uh, oh. Colts, and he was oh, in he was. One. So yeah, he was. Oh, he was okay. in two previous seasons. Um, he was a, a psychic in one of the episodes, and I can't remember what he was in one of the other ones. But so he comes back for this one. Um, but we also get Brooke on death row basically telling Richard to fuck himself when it comes to Satan. I don't care. I'm going to just accept my sentence even though I'm guilty – or not guilty, rather, and goes to the death chamber watching Trevor and uh, uh, Margaret through the window. Yeah, it yeah. sucks because you think that's it. You think that's all that's going to happen is that she's going to be killed. But nope, Donna's back, and Donna somehow saved her, and it's on the Camp Redwood to get her motherfucking revenge. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know how she uh, did yeah. it. Don't know how she pulled it off, but who cares? It's odd. <laughs> you yeah. know, everybody's coming back. Yeah. Yeah, for her final showdown. <laughs> for the final showdown. And uh, episode uh, that premieres tonight is called The Lady in White. So it's basically Brooke and Donna going back to the camp. With a hitchhiker in tow, played by none other than Dylan McDermott, who was an American Horror Story alumni. So he plays a oh. hitchhiker that they pick up on the side of the road. He returns with a mustache and very big go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's only three episodes left, and he's going to be in two of them. So we don't know what he's going to do in these episodes, but time will tell. That episode premieres tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And just to say to the ghoul, I agree with you. I fell off with American Horror Story. With Cult, I never watched Apocalypse, but American Horror Story 1984 has got me all in. I cannot wait for the next episode. Like, this is the best season, I think, so far. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been enjoying the season very much, and, uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to, to how it ends. I do want to apologize. We seem to be having some kind of technical difficulty because I hear uh, chattering both on the monkey and, and the king's end. I have a feeling it's through blog talk, so it may even be on my end, too. Uh, a, I hear some on your end, too. Yeah, we're, we're getting a little bit of chatter, so it just might be a signal from BTR is acting yeah. up a bit tonight. So bear so with we us tonight, guys, time. because we're still going to carry through and sit there and do this Halloween Eve episode anyway. So let's just keep rolling. So what have you got for Horror News, King? <laughs> well, I want to see where I want to start because I do have a couple of things. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is Crispin Glover. We all know him from Back oh. to the Future, Friday 13th Part 4, River's Edge, you name it. He's been in a lot of movies. Uh, he recently sat down with Yahoo to do an interview about Friday 13th Part 4 where he said, basically, I did the movie for a paycheck. I needed money, so I auditioned, I got the part, and I did it. Then he later said that he felt like Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974 is a superior horror film and that Friday the 13th is derivative of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Is this Crispin Glover trolling people, or does he mean it? I don't know. I just thought it was a great little bit from him saying that, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday 13th ripped you off, which I could not disagree more, but wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Well, well just real quick, if I can jump in, Ghoul, is I literally just saw part four, I just saw part four and five for the first time like a month ago. And I really had a lot of fun with four and five. Like these, these are like, um, my I think my my favorite Friday the Thirteenth movies, man. And <laughs> Crispin Glover, you. you know, I I just um found him funny in the movie. Yeah, you know, his dead fuck. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's like <clears throat> I don't, I I think that four and five definitely raised the bar for the Friday franchise. You know, but I just wanted to jump in and say that real quick. Ghoul, so, Ghoul, what have you got to say about this? <laughs> so, I'm uh, just trying to clarify because, like I said, you're kind of chattering, so it makes it a little hard to understand. Crispin Glover is saying that Friday the 13th somewhat ripped off Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a superior film franchise, or just that one film, 74's film, is just a superior film. 74. It, Friday 13th is derivative of that 74 film. I mean, listen, Nicole, let's not put the foot around. I mean, everything borrows off of everything. You know, you might not have ever had a Friday the 13th had there never been a Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a Halloween to, to be there before it. Um you know, that being said, I think Friday the 13th carved its own little thing in its time. The first film was, you know, a whodunit movie with a bunch of murders occurring. Nobody knew who the killer was. It wasn't until later points that you found out, you know, that the, the Jason character was, was formulated and created and turned into the juggernaut that he is. Um, I think they're both, you know, both unique properties. But, yeah, I can see where somebody could say, hey, it borrowed a little off of this or that. But I also feel like Texas Chainsaw is a much more visceral, disturbing kind of film that in the greater scope of things, you know, let's say 100 years from now, 
people might look back at something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and say, hey, that was an interesting film style. That was an interesting film. Whereas you might not really see that with Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th kind of falls along the regular patterns of slasher films. Um, Whereas I do feel like there was a, a very specific art style to what you saw with Texas Chainsaw. So as far as art goes, I, yeah, I, I agree. Texas Chainsaw is the better movie. But as far as entertainment value goes, it goes Friday the 13th. <laughs> and Monkey 4 and fucking 5 are in a, uh, two amazing movies. The Return of Savini made 4 fantastic. And the comic oh, gold yeah. of 5. All the silly shit oh, yeah. that goes on in 5 from Demon dying on the fucking Porter John and, and everything else, man. It was great <laughs> stuff. I couldn't agree more. I mean, just like I said, I think it's just Crispin Glover trolling people. I don't know if he actually means it because Crispin, he's a troll. Like, he likes to get people riled up. So I can only imagine uh, him doing this just to get people riled up going, oh, like you, Crispin. Friday is great. Mm. <laughs> you know? But, but, okay, but you asked us a question, but you never answered it, King. What do you think about what he said, though? It's like, you know, you, you think maybe he's trolling – but what's your opinion on his statement there? Because we know that you love Texas Chainsaw. So and I just real quick, you know, I, Crispin Glover has never, ever turned around and had anything nice to say about Friday the 13th Part 4. You know, that's like one of those <laughs> films that as far as he's always been concerned, you know, that was like a whole other human being at that point. I think it's just Crispin being Crispin, and he's a weird dude. Yeah. You know, that's not a bad yep. thing. He's a weirdo, and that's his whole persona. Well, I agree. Um, yeah. But, yeah, to answer the monkey, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is in a realm of its own. You know, people classify it as a slasher, but it really isn't. It's it's a horror film, but it's hard to say it's a slasher because, yes, you have Leatherface. He carries a chainsaw, you know, but he doesn't use it throughout the entire film to kill people. He uses a, a no. meat cleaver. He uses different kind of hammers. He uses hooks. He's just a, a monster that doesn't really know he's a monster. And that's what I've always loved about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that he's a guy he's a lady. with a low mental intelligence. Whoa, 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 he's a lady. <laughs> There's just a, a layer there, and plus to the film itself, it plays out more like a document, uh, documentary you know, type of film where it's, you're watching these people die at the hands of Leatherface and the family. But it's just it's in its own world, so I can't really say Friday Thirteenth is derivative because, like Nicola said, Friday Thirteenth is in a world of its own too. If anything, Friday Thirteenth is derivative of Halloween. I think that's the most argument that you could make is that because of Halloween, Friday Thirteenth exists. But Texas Chainsaw, you can't touch that. Like you can't but say you that. Turn a around movie's and say derivative. Halloween wouldn't exist without something like, let's say, Texas Chainsaw and Black Christmas. You know what I mean? By opening the door, without opening the door to that type of horror and gore that you were getting in an American movie, would you ever have been able to have Halloween and so forth and so forth? You know? So, uh, again, I can see an argument with it. I completely agree with you, Ghoul. Without Bob Clark's 1974 Black Christmas, there wouldn't be a Halloween. I mean, that was the whole impetus of Halloween in the first place. Erwin Yablon's wanting to do something like Black Christmas, make a slasher film, set it around a holiday like Halloween, and see what happens. So, yeah, definitely without Black Christmas, there would not be a Halloween. We wouldn't be talking about Michael Myers. But 
we probably would still be talking about Leatherface because of the fact that Leatherface lives in his own world where there's really nothing to compare it to. I mean, before Leatherface, there wasn't some guy cutting off people's faces and eating human flesh. There was zombies, but there wasn't people in that kind of sense like that. Well, Ed Gein liked to, to kind of play around. I mean, I mean no, he, <laughs> in real life. He, he, he took dead bodies and, and, and did that kind of stuff, but, you know. Hey, in real life, uh, he did. We all need inspiration. Yeah. Oh, of course. But, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit about the Crispin that I had. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about as well was something that the ghoul had brought up many, many shows ago uh, in regards to McKinney Manor which is in Summertown, Tennessee. It's that extreme torture uh, place where you go and oh, you go oh, and, yeah. and, you know, you know, you sign your waiver and you go in and you get tortured and things of that nature. So McKinney Manor is now offering $20,000 to anyone that can make it throughout the entire thing without stopping, without saying the safe word, going through the entire thing. To date, nobody has gone through it. Now, here's the nope. other thing is that a group of 40,000 strong, which isn't a lot, went on to petition.org to sign a petition to shut down McKinney Manor because they said that it's basically kidnapping and torture. See, this is where I disagree. Because in order to go to McKinney Manor in the first place, you have to sign a 40-page waiver, basically saying that you don't care that they're going to torture me, you don't care whatever they're going to do, you're okay with it, and you're signing your name on a dotted line. This isn't them kidnapping you off the road and torturing you. This isn't a real-life crime. This is something that you're signing up to do voluntarily. So this whole petition to shut it down, I think, is complete bullshit. And I don't think it should exist because you're volunteering to do this. You're not being forced against your will. So I wanted to get you guys' stance on McKinney Manor, torture that you're voluntarily signing up for, and whether or not this petition really has legs. Ghoul, why don't you go ahead, because this is your thing. You're the one that brought this to the group in the first place. Uh, listen, man, you know, and I'm, I don't remember what I said the last time. I probably was all full of piss and hot wind where it was like, oh, I'll go do it, blah, 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 blah. Like, I love haunts, and I love stuff like that. But at the same time, too, man, I kind of enjoy having my life. And, uh, you know, depending on whatever it is that they're <laughs> actually going to do to you while you're – while you're under whatever this contract is, you know, that could put you at risk, even if it's not them killing you. But it's like, you know, again, like somebody like me who's got, you know, who's had a heart condition at this point, you know. So I I think, like I've said about so many things, there's no such thing as bad press. I'm going to make the guess that if they're starting to offer a $20,000, you know, bonus, to anybody that could complete this thing, they're trying to get people there, which means they're probably not getting oh, yeah. enough people to actually, you know, sign up and actually pay. That's the other big thing, you know. You have to pay to get this fucking torture done to you. Yep. Wait, now, all no, that no, said, no, no, you don't. No, no, they do not charge. They take donations, but they don't charge. Okay. Mm. So you're donating. That, that's a, that. that that's yeah. That's another thing. I sorry, Ghoul. I just, like just read this a week ago. Is they don't charge mm-hmm. for this thing, but they but they do take donations. 
Mm-hmm. There's got to be money coming in somewhere. So, however they're getting <laughs> I'm, it, whether no, it's I'm not arguing that. Whether it's, whether it's selling gear, merch, whatever it is, you know. And again, especially with this twenty thousand dollar thing, you know, you know for God that there's just got to be no way that you get through it. There's got to be something in that contract that really just ultimately screws you, and that's why nobody's finished this damn thing yet. Um, you know, it's like Willy Wonka's whole entire factory and you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that that's it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately you're trying to get the golden ticket. But you lose you know good paper. <laughs> you get uh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> listen, people are always gonna petition everything, man. They fucking petition yep. every single little thing. They come up with hey, come on, we watched it with freaking you know, uh, the, the Star Wars movie where everybody wanted it to be freaking remade, you know, so they fill out a fucking petition for that. Um, so, whatever. They're not going to do anything about it. They're not going to shut it down until it actually kills somebody or violates somebody's rights. That thing will be operational because, you know what? People yeah. are allowed to do it. We're a capitalist country, you yeah. think. That's exactly my point was. Is the fact that yeah. you're allowing this to happen. You're not being picked up off the streets. Like you're going there saying, Yeah, I want to do this. I'm signing my name. Let's go in. You're not being picked off. Like you know, that's just a stupid fucking position. <laughs> and and the thing is also I've recently because that article popped up, I've had coworkers coming to me asking me about this. And, you know, I'm t- telling them what I know about it. And they're like, well, it can't be that bad. You know, it's just a haunt, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> no, you have to have they read the, the waiver. Petition? I mean, the, uh, the waiver? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, they, they, are, they actually mess with you. It's not a haunt. <laughs> It's like it's yeah, allergic like, reactions. Yeah. You know, there's Tell so many things yeah, that go wrong waiver. with that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm just Tell like, them to read the 40 page waiver. I've read it. It's, it's like, <laughs> wow. I mean, because I, even my mother emailed me and she's like, Did you hear about McKinney Manor? I, she's like, Would you do it? And I was like, Well, for 20000 I probably would. I was like, At the same time, I read that waiver. I don't really know if I want to have my teeth ripped out of my face. And I don't know if I want to have my fingernails extracted because that's some yeah, of the no, things they have to see, sign away for in the waiver. That's the. But see, no, that's that's the thing. You can't. That, all right, no, 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 no. See, that's getting ridiculous. It's one thing where it's an extreme haunt in which people might be yelling in your face, or they might be like lightly waterboarding you and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about physical deformity, yep. literally deforming somebody's face or their fingers or something, now I understand why there's a petition to shut it down. They can't <laughs> allow that kind of shit. That's ridiculous. One of the lines in the waiver right. is that if you get picked to go to the dentist, that means you're subjecting yourself to be put into a chair and have your teeth ripped out. Right, so, but again, the, though, a lot, a lot, a lot of this illegal, stuff, okay. though, that's probably in the waiver, though, is shit scared the fuck out of you thinking that shit's going to happen to you, man. Because if you sign that line true. specifically, and you're yeah, told, exactly. all right, you're 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 going to the dentist, then they're like, fuck that, I'm out. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah, I, just waiver, I, I just signed a waiver. I just signed a waiver saying that. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, I, I need paperwork yeah. because, hey, listen, I'll tell you right now, go to any hospital, right? And if they don't have a dentist on staff, they can't do anything for your teeth. You know, that's why they'll tell you to leave. They won't even give you fucking meds. Sometimes you're lucky they'll give you antibiotics, but they actually won't touch the inside of your mouth because of that very purpose. So if they're putting that in their waiver and they're pulling people's teeth, they better damn right have a fucking actual legal dentist on staff there to be handling said procedures. I agree with Monkey here. I think it's bullshit. Yeah, I think it's just scary. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's funny to read, like, because I've read through the whole 40-page waiver, and it gets worse. <laughs> so, I mean, those are just some of the highlights. The fact that you might We're have to stick up worms down. up your ass. Oh, no, they make you eat your own vomit. They, they make you eat uh, different pills that make you vomit, then they make you eat it. That's one of the lines in the waiver, that you have to be okay yes. eating your own bile. So nah. well, yeah, <laughs> you know, no, no, no. Once, once yeah. puke starts getting involved, um, you know, I'm pretty much whatever. I won't give up, but you know what? You're probably not <laughs> gonna have any use for me because you know I'm one of those people that that vomit <laughs> makes me vomit more. So then I start trying, <laughs> and then I vomit more, and then there's just more. And then it doesn't end because, you know, it could be 5, 10, 20 minutes later and I'll think about it and my brain will make me think about it so much that I'll still smell it in my nose and vomit more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that there is that. There's petition.org, like I said, the petition for McKinney Manor. Um, it's out there. If anybody out there is in that area and they want to go to McKinney Manor and see if they could claim that $20,000 prize, it is still in play. So you still have a chance. And, Good luck to you. And for any, Tell us about it. And, yeah, if for any of you listening here and you go, please, please t- contact us and let us know what it was like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my last uh, thing I want to talk about there before I get into the movie, because it's something I really want to talk about the movie and also this little piece for the monkey. I know he's going to really like this. Is that Disney Plus, that fantastic streaming service that's coming out, uh, there have been talks Couple about days. doing a Hocus Pocus 2 exclusively oh. for Disney Plus. Not for the theatrical. <laughs> nope, going right to the streaming service. That works. <sighs> oh, yeah, but I'm more excited about, like, Mandalorian. Can we talk about that instead? <laughs> you guys can fucking uh, orgasm over all that. There's, there's nothing I'll, more back, I'll be honest with you, monkey. There's nothing more to talk about with me on that. I've gone into full mm-hmm. shutdown on everything, so I'm not watching it. I'm not watching the new trailer or anything. I want to go into it as fresh mm. as I possibly can. My excitement oh, is at, at, at a high. Here. We're 13 days away from the release of this damn streaming service. And it's like, you know, it's it's there, I think, right? It's the 12th or the 6th. I can't even remember, man. I don't know the exact date, but... No, I, I said I don't know the exact date, but I'm going in blind for anything Star Wars related. I'm just in there pulling November up Star Wars 12th. titles. Okay. <laughs> November 12th. <laughs> Disney Plus launches. Um, now, Ghoul, do you already have your streaming service set up for Disney Plus? No, I don't. You know, like I know they they have all these kind of deals going on right now. I mean, I'm gonna have to start with probably whatever the uh, whatever the the most basic package I can get my hands on right now. It's real slow at work. I've got my uh, I just I'm not sacrificing my A list for anything. So if I have to <laughs> juggle things around a little bit just to make it so that this is 
feasible, um, I will find a way to do it, but I, I can't do any kind of like full year package at the moment. So, you know, I, uh, okay. but I I'll, I'll get it done. I'll get it done. <clears throat> but to go back to the King's original question about a Hocus Pocus 2, I'm sorry. Fuck that shit, okay? Hocus Pocus 1 was fun. All right, it, it was silly. You know, it was very 90s, but there's only but so much Bette Midler I can take, all right? And you want I'm more. not going back. No, yeah, I, I don't. No, I do not want her to be, be the wind beneath my wings. No. No. You're I'll, terrified I'll, enough. Do you, want, you, do you want her to be yeah, the breeze was, between your balls? I... Uh, yeah, but yeah, I I don't think this is warranted or deserved. It's like because we already had a Broadway play for Hocus Pocus too. It's like and but at the same time, it's like you know King Ghoul. Do, do you think the market is out there for like? Do you think the fans are out there to want a Hocus Pocus too? Yes. Yeah. 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 I completely agree. It, yeah, there is. Judging by the merchandise that's here Halloween, there is. It's <laughs> a popular, yeah. it's a popular yeah. movie that's popularity has actually grown with nostalgia and with the next yeah, generation because, you know what, the parents, yeah. you know, the women that now have their own daughters are introducing their kids to this show. It's on Freeform. You know, it's it's one of those things that is uh, – Freeform is a, uh, is a Disney so it used to be whatever their television network is. Um, the Family Channel. Besides the Family Channel. Um, but now it's called Freeform. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a regular on there. It, it aired on, you know, Hulu. Um, yeah, no, I think there's absolutely a market there. Because, again, Disney's got the princesses. This is a world-dominating corporation. And they oh, want absolutely. and love to... Like, look, don't get me wrong, okay? There's, there's <laughs> going to be a naivety. There's going to be, no, there's going to be a little bit of naivety here on my part. Maybe it's just a child that's still inside of me that wants to see this. But it's not, it's not just about them wanting to make so much money. As much as they want to at least be able to have creative influences in all avenues, you know? So why not throw a little bit of witchcraft in there somewhere, you know, I'm sure Disney is kicking themselves in the ass. We're not getting on board with the Harry Potter train, you know, Warner Brothers snatched that shit up. Um, yeah, they would have loved it. Like, you know, I'm sure they look back at that now and they're like, Oh God, man, we really fucking dropped the ball on that one. Um, uh, but you oh, know, again, yeah. they made it up with it. Obviously, <laughs> they got the boys, they got the boys marketed with the Disney, the star Wars. They've got boys. They've got grown fucking ass adult men that are, you know, we're, we're living proof that that shit just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> um, you know, so, Hey, you know, they're, they're, they're doing what they're doing, but ultimately what, what I find interesting about it is, is what they're doing, even though it's making billions upon billions upon billions of dollars, it's still kind of fitting in with what Walt's vision was of showing everybody the world. You know, think about what Epcot is. The idea of Epcot was showing everybody the world. And by well, doing some of the it, movies... It's a small world as well. Yes, you know, but by doing these movies the way they're doing them and by introducing, you know, characters and actors and actresses from different cultures and backgrounds and all these different things, you're kind of still getting that. 
in this weird sort of way. So like I said, it might be a little bit of naivety here. I know it's all about billions of dollars and money getting all over the place, but I do think his vision is still somewhat getting made. That's actually yeah. really well said and, and, and very romantic, Ghoul. Well, well said, man. <laughs> Look, yeah, a dream is I, a wish your heart makes, okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's uh, the bit of news that I had. So I want to get into tonight's movie for Halloween Eve, Beetlejuice from 1988, directed by Tim Burton. So the plot that we have is after Barbara and Adam Maitland die in a car accident, they find themselves stuck haunting their country residence, unable to leave their house. When Wait, the unbearable pieces the <laughs> they were. Uh, when the unbearable pieces, led by Charles and Delia and Teeny's daughter Lydia, by their home, the Maitlands attempt to scare them away without success. Their efforts attract Beetlejuice, a rambunctious spirit whose help quickly becomes dangerous for the Maitlands and the innocent Lydia. So the reason I picked this movie for tonight, not only because it's Halloween Eve, and I think it's a great pick for this particular season, uh, I was going off of the ghoul stick from last week, Abbott Costello Me Frankenstein, because Beetlejuice was a movie that was always on TV on HBO back in the day when I was a little kid, and I always made time to watch it. I was a huge fan of the movie. I was a huge fan of the cartoon. I couldn't get enough Beetlejuice. It was just funny. It was spooky. It was weird. I was weird. You know, I, I love Miss Argentina. You know, I was like, have oh, the toys love her. I had the toys. the toys. Oh, yeah. Yep, I had the toys. Sounds I had the coloring good. books. Yeah, I had them all. <laughs> I had so much Beetlejuice stuff. Um, so I had all that. So with that said, that's why I picked it, because it's just a little piece of my childhood. And apparently we have somebody on hold, which is weird. Uh, so I'm going to try to bring them on. Uh, 773 area code. Hello, you're on Talking Terror. Hello, <laughs> They have nothing okay. to add to the conversation. So we're just going to let them hang out, and if they decide to talk, they can talk. <laughs> so oh, that's hello. why I picked it. Yes, hello. hello? Yes, oh, hi. hey, I saw issues, I guess. I was I was talking, and you weren't hearing me, and um, thank you for not hanging up. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. I'm I'm um I'm listening to you guys and I'm enjoying the show and I thought, well, these would be the guys to call uh with my inquiry because um my buddy and I are looking to start an online streaming show where we um he's he considers himself sort of like a Spanguli type. He's a bit of a character. We both do voices mm-hmm. and we were thinking of starting a um a clip show online where we would play some really obscure, you know, horror movies from the 60s and 70s. And, some of the best um, kind. Intro- some of the best yeah. kind and introduce them. And he does this really fun character uh, called the, the Clip Keeper. And I'd love to just run by um, some ideas with you and get some feedback because I really do respect your opinion on this type of stuff. <clears throat> Boys? Uh yeah. Cool. What do you think? You know, we'll give you we'll give you a minute, man. Give give us a minute of what you got. Let's hear this. Give so what, first, what do you think of the name, the Clit Keeper? Do you like that? The Clit Keeper. Sorry. I mean, is that kind of like the Clit Commander? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I, I, no, I don't think. <laughs> a 
Oh, the clip, the clip keeper. I'm sorry, man. I thought you said the clip the keeper. Clip keeper. <laughs> clip keeper. I like it. It's fine. It so what else do you got? Well, he he comes in, so you get some music playing, and he goes like, uh, "Hello, creep. It's me, your old pal, the clip keeper." And then the first film we have, there's one from the 60s here called, uh, it's The Woman Who Squirted Blood. And that's actually an Italian film. So he comes in and he goes, I hope you're ready for a wet and wild time because tonight's feature is sure to leave you soaked with fear. And then he introduces the uh, the clip. And, uh, you know, and then, yeah. So are you are you planning on doing an entire movie of you doing things, picking on the movie during the entire time, like an MST3K kind of thing? Or are you like, what are you talking about? Uh, highlights or what? Highlights where we where you know he'll come in and say something like, "Ooh, I wouldn't want to be her dry cleaner," <laughs> you know, something like that. I dig it. See again with yeah. with, with all of this wet yeah. and all this like cleaning talk, the clip keeper just makes so much more sense now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a chick squirting the whole night here, man. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, the, the the film's got it, the film is you know a lot of these films do have a sexual undertone because uh, you know they were they were made over in Europe and it's uh, you know a woman and she uh, she just starts squirting blood from her eyes and her mouth and. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all like about a pretty crazy sex, film, right? That's what it is. <laughs> What's phallic that? and sex, man. That's all it is. Because, you know, rather than make porn, which, you know, is a little bit harder to get out there, you know, by, by putting it in a horror form, you can show that penetration. You can. That's why it's so sexual over in Europe, because it's all about repression, man. Sticking it, it in. Right. That. Yeah, I mean, we got another film here. I don't know if you ever heard of these, but this is the craziest one. It's called... Um, Night of the Were Squirrel, and it's about a woman who actually transforms into a demonic squirrel, and that's from 1972. Also, that one's actually from France. Uh, I thought that was the fucking Richard Gere biodrama. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you planning on this being a launch on YouTube or something like that? Yeah, we're thinking uh, YouTube start there. Um, there's some other streaming services we're considering, but YouTube seems to be the the, the way to go with mm-hmm. it. Actually, hang on, I have a clip here from um, one of the films. Give me one second. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. what, what, what do you guys think of the overall concept? You think it sounds spooky, kind of scary, madcap? Yeah. Well, it's fine. Well, how about, we really got to move on with our show. So, yeah, so yeah, if you want to reach out to us, you, check us out on Facebook at Talking Terror, and then yeah. you can let us know your ideas because we got to move on with the show, my friend. Sure. Yeah. Hang on, well, yeah, I'm going to play you a clip real quick, real quick, and this is from the Were Squirrel movie. Oh, oh, oh. Come on, give it to me. Give it to me, give it to me. Yeah, it definitely sounds up. like the click. He was a troll. That guy was a troll. That's what I was watching earlier today. <laughs> I had to cut him off. So <laughs> if you were serious... You know, check us out on Facebook.com slash Talking Terror. Hit us up with your ideas, but I'm saying that was a troll because I couldn't find any of the titles he was talking about. So it's fine. Moving on, because I want to get this show on the road. Ghoul, what do you think about Beetlejuice? It's fucking Beetlejuice, man. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, I was blessed to see Beetlejuice in theaters. 
Um, oh, my, my cousin you. Dana for her birthday. It was like one of those things where, you know, what were we going to do? Well, we were going to go see Beetlejuice. I don't even know if her birthday is around this time of year. I don't remember when Beetlejuice released, I'll be honest with you, but I know I saw it in the movie theaters in Brooklyn <laughs> right, off of the, uh, the, right off of the Belt Parkway. Um, so, so yeah, it's Beetlejuice. I'm always going to have fond memories for this. It's a nostalgic piece for me. Um, I was a fan of Michael Keaton prior to this. I, I liked Mr. Mom. Um, yeah. You know, Holy I hadn't seen yeah, Johnny man. Dangerously or anything like that yet, but, you know, Mr. Mom oh. I was a big fan of. So, so knowing that this guy was that, and he was just this bizarre, weird, almost taboo type of character, which, you know, when I look at the movie now, I realize he's really not in the film all that much. But when he's no, there, no, he's, only like eight, is, he's only in there like 18 minutes. Yeah. Dude, when he's on screen, though, you cannot get your eyes off of him. You know, he is just 100% capturing everything, you know. So, it's oh, yeah. yeah. No, no nags on my head here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Monkey, what do you think about Beetlejuice? Yeah, same thing here, man. It's just it's like this to me is Tim Burton's directorial masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, everything that he's done after that has like tried to match the energy and the mystery that's in this movie, and also this is like doubly more so. What? Oh, but but also this is like also I consider like this this as one of Tim Burton's best movies because uh, like I was telling you the other night, King, it's like like Rob, like how Rob Zombie can't get out of the 70s. Tim Burton can't get away from bitching about parents. You know, that's just his thing. I don't know why, but he just bitches and bitches about parents. We you know, and this is done in a very controlled way compared to the extremes that he goes in other movies. Um, you know, he still bitches about parents, but it's not overpowering in the movie. And this movie is just such a fun ride, man. It's This is one of those movies where it's just great because it's just so full of quotes. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, watch it, watching it the other night, you know, with the diva, you know, we're just taking turns spouting out lines as we're watching the movie, man, because we've seen it that much. It is just, yeah, it's, you know, if you grew up in the 90s, man, it was part of your childhood, and it was an important part of your childhood. And, yeah, it's just thanks for picking this because, yeah, we're going to have fun. Let's let's go. <laughs> yeah. So what I, what, uh, with Tim Burton, the thing is that you talked about with him about how parents suck, and that's what all his movies are about, uh, Rob Zombie being stuck in the 70s, I feel like Tim Burton is also trapped in the 1950s. I feel like a lot of his movies have that 1950s aesthetic, especially Beetlejuice, you know, with this perfect little town, Winter River, and you have Adam and Barbara, who are like the perfect couple, trying to renovate their home, taking a vacation, living in this big house, gifting each other things for the house, uh, like wallpaper and things like that. Uh, Adam <laughs> with his little town that he makes. So it's like they're like the perfect couple, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. Um, I, I love their interactions because they genuinely seem like they cared about each other. Um, and when they die, you think, okay, well, you know, they could be back into their house, but they don't know that they're dead yet. And you don't know how much time has passed. You just know that they sell off that bridge, which I still think they could have survived. Like that was a small little, you know, drop into that river. I felt like they could probably survive that. 
Right. It was a small drop in a teeny little river, but at the same time, it was upside down, so therefore they easily could have drowned again. We're talking 80s. Seatbelts were acting up all the time and all that kind of stuff. They might not have been able to get out, so that's probably why they died is they just drowned. That's why when they came back out, they were still soaking wet when they came into the house. You know, and then they decided to, you know, light a fire. <laughs> well, that fire but, wasn't lit when we walked in. Like, you know, who was the fire? Like, you know, and Barbara and letting her fingers on fire accidentally. And this is where the movie starts to sit there and get its charm of just sweet macabre, you know, where it's obviously talking about death. It's obviously talking about dying. But at the same time, it's not beating you over the head with it, and it's not scaring you to death. It's like, and this is where Tim Burton does what Tim Burton does of the whole thing of introducing families to scary, spooky stuff without scaring the living shit out of them. Right, and and that's what I really kind of gravitated towards when I was a kid because I kind of liked it. You know, is that you have this whole like afterlife. You have a guidebook to the recently deceased that you have to read that reads like you're trying <laughs> to hook it. up a stereo. <laughs> you know, and and Ghoul, what did you think about the the time that happens when you're dead? Like you could be in one place and then all of a sudden three months later, like time doesn't exist when you're dead. Well, I mean, it's, I don't think it's that. I mean, it's you're, you're talking about any kind of uh, dimensional transference. Essentially, you know what I mean? You're breaking the, the third dimension and you're falling into the fourth, fifth, and whatnot, where, you know, the, the idea of time passing faster in one realm is going to affect how you perceive the next realm, if that makes any sense. Um, it does. So, it sounds, so, sounds yeah, very no, jumbly, wumbly, timey, wimey. <laughs> exactly, kind of. You know, it's uh, it's the kind of thing is when that's what makes Beetlejuice great. You know, because watching it as a kid, most of that stuff I barely even recorded. You know, let alone like really mm. grasped. You know, this was stuff that as I got older and I'd rewatch the movie, I'd be like, oh, cool, I never picked up on that. Oh, cool, I never picked up on that, and so forth and so forth. Um, you know, like this is a movie that that recently. Uh, you know, the little monster Sammy she got into, and she loves it. She adores this movie. She watched it for the first time about a year ago. She's watched it a number of times since. Um, she loves Beetlejuice, so it's uh, that it's is, nice that to have awesome. something that you can span across generations. It is. It's a very kid-friendly film, and that's what I love about yeah. it. It's spooky at points, but it's a very kid-accessible movie. Yeah, and I agree with the ghoul here is because, again, um, a couple summers ago when I was introducing Ian to horror, this is a great movie to use as a segue of moving away from Disney and moving into darker stuff and going towards horror. Like, this is a – this movie is a great piece for that. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, so so we have them, uh, you know, and – I just want to sit there and backtrack real quick and just want to say I love the opening shot of this movie of yeah. the entire shot going over what turns out to be model the model of the village and stuff like that. But you don't mm-hmm. know it from the get-go, uh, you know, right. uh, the first time you're watching it until the big spider comes over top and stuff like that. It's just, it was a great piece, gr- uh, great <clears throat> miniature work. I really, really dug it. But 
let's let's talk about the deepest. <laughs> well, and this is what I wanted to talk about is that once Adam and Barbara kind of figure what's going on, that they didn't survive the car accident, all of a sudden they see that their house is now for sale and the details of Charles, Delia, and Lydia are moving in. Charles being played by Jeffrey Jones, who's once again returning to the show. We've covered a bunch of movies that he's been in. Uh, Catherine uh, uh, Harris, uh, who's such a fox in the movie, oh, and yeah. Lydia played by Winona Ryder. Uh, the one thing that I kind of enjoyed but was kind of confused by even now watching it, you have them walking through the house with Otho, played by Glenn Haddix, who's fantastic in this movie as, like, the interior oh, designer wanting to tear apart different things. But you have Barbara hanging in the closet and ripping off her face. And then again in the one den that Charles wants to keep for himself where she beheads uh, Adam and just trying to scare them. How do they know how to do this? Because they're dead, but they don't really understand death as of yet, like what really is involved. But yet they know how to rip off their face and cut off the head and just try to be scary and not be noticed. It confused me. Because, because they've already met Juno, their caseworker, all right? And, and, not yet. Oh, meet her yet. Oh, oh, shit. You're right. You're right. You're right. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. They have yeah, not met her yet. They haven't even they haven't even figured out how to get into the afterworld yet, where they have to make a chalk line oh. of the door. They haven't figured that out yet. So that's my question: oh. is How do they know that they could rip off their faces and behead each other and try to scare the family? Oh wow! Good point, King. Holy crap, man! Yeah. Oh man, you just took me for a spin here. Yeah, because oh. Yeah, how did they know how to do that? Um cool. that being... What's that? How they, they figured out how to stretch the faces and stuff? No, how, how they know. like how, Wait, no. when Barbara's hanging in the closet, she rips off her face to scare Otho and Delia, and then she cuts off Adam's mm-hmm. head to scare them again in the den. This is before they met okay. Juno. This is before they kind of realized what they can do. Well, no, not necessarily. Adam's been reading the book. You know, and okay. that's the thing. Time has been going by. You know what I mean? I think that's the one thing that doesn't really get shown very well in this. Now, whether some of that is by design, some of that is by editing, um, you know, I think Adam reading the book kind of gave them some ideas as far as what they could and couldn't do. That could be a two. Like you said, that's not a – they didn't do a really good job of that because all of a sudden they realized that they could rip off their faces and things like that. It just confused me. But it's it's when Lydia kind of sees that they're there, and she knows that they're in the house, and she asks June, who's a realtor, about it, and she goes, oh, yeah, they died in the house. But, you know, here's a skeleton key. You could open up any door in the yeah. house. And she tries to go to the attic, which is the one room in the house that's locked, and they can't get into, and that's where Adam and Barbara are trying to get her away from it. But that's at the same time when they realize that they could create a door to go to the afterworld, whatever they want to call it in this movie. I call it the afterworld, but, you know, it's, it's the netherworld. You know, it's the, the realm of the dead. And it's such a great sequence. When they go there, and it's basically just a fucking waiting room where you just have to wait your turn. I, I, I fucking love the idea of the waiting room. It's like uh, so much stuff for this vision of the afterworld. You know, I, I just fucking loved, man. The idea of the waiting room, uh, and then you sit there and go into the idea ideas of the way you die is the way you are stuck for all eternity. All right? I so, love the explanation you know, of that, yeah. Yeah, and so it's not, like, you know, so, oh, go ahead, Ghoul. What were you going to say? 
No, 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 continue. I, I think I know where you're going. I just right. I want to let you go for yeah. it. Okay, and it says, you know, so the reception is talking about, you know, that's how that person dies, and that's how that person dies, and the reception is like, and if I know now what I knew, or knew then what I knew now, I would have had my little accident, you know, and therefore, people are, you know, reminiscent now in the afterworld of how they died. Okay, so you you didn't go there. One thing that I enjoy, and again, these are the kind of little things that I pick up as, you know, I got older and watching this movie. Committing suicide makes you a civil servant in the afterlife. Yeah. So yep. everybody yeah. that's working in that office and in that afterlife are all people that t- they killed themselves. And that's how they all ended up there, including Judo, their caseworker. Yeah. Yeah, she killed herself. So you're and that's why she's a case for the rest of your life. And again, like yeah, I said, Miss Argentina, yeah. the receptionist, played by Patrice Martinez, so foxy even back then, with that blue skin <laughs> and the red hair, talking about how you know she's like you only you're in your house for 125 years, and you only get three health vouchers, and you just wasted one, and you've only been there for two months. <laughs> Slow it down, guys. <laughs> Pace yourselves. Because you have a long time to go uh, before you get there. But also the other thing I want to talk about is the use of Saturn in the movie. Another fucking planet that you could actually transport to that has fucking sandworms that come out. And that's like a punishment. Like if you get there, you could be eaten by the sandworms. And I love the fact that they take it interplanetary in this movie too. It's not just heaven and hell, purgatory. No, it's interplanetary. Oh, Saturn. Yeah. <laughs> Sandworms, you hate them too, huh? <laughs> you don't like them either, huh? <laughs> hate but, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it, that's, uh, again, we could start getting introduced the, to the imagery that is going to become classic, you know, trademark Tim Burton imagery with the Sandworms and his particular art style. Sorry, Ghoul, go ahead. No, I was going to say two, though. You got to remember one, you never. It might be Saturn. It might not be. Beetlejuice is never a, uh, you know, like we said with the other movie. We have an inconsistent narrator. Uh, you know, that, that's what you kind of get with him. But I also think that it was one of those little nods towards, like, Dune and everything, which was a huge, huge thing at this time when, when this movie yeah. came out. It was a big thing. That's why I got the whole sandworm thing. was because of Dune. And it kind of worked. Um <laughs> You know, and it's it's them trying to go see Juno for the first time, and then when they go back to their house, it's it's all completely <laughs> renovated, like it's completely to Delia's like expectations of his house, changing the fireplace and changing the dining table, and Juno meets him for the first time, and she goes, "You guys have been gone for three months, like it hasn't been a day. You guys have been gone for three months. This is what's happened, and you guys, you really need to just if you don't want them here anymore." Need to scare them out, and that's when they bring up Beetlejuice for the first time because they've been seeing flyers of Beetlejuice. They saw the commercial where he was a cowboy. And he's like, "Oh, I'll swallow anything. I'll swallow this. I'll swallow that. Oh, he's in by the dog. I'll eat anything you want me to eat. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. Now, come on down. We'll chew on the dog." Trying to get in there with with just trying to seduce them basically into having them use him for help because he's a bioelectricist. You know, if you need help getting people out of your house, I'll do it. And Juno tells them, 
do not fucking call him. Don't say his name. Don't use him. He used to be my servant. Then he went off to be a bioelectricist, and he tried to scare people. He's not good. Get rid of him. <laughs> Just forget him. Right. Scare them on your own. But we, but we also have that tiny moment, though, where uh, Beetlejuice is looking for work. And he's looking through the, um, excuse me, obituaries, obituaries. and yep. yeah, and sees them there, and goes, "Oh, look at these couple of chumps," you know. And so he takes them as two global people, where he might be able to work his way from where he is out to where he wants to be through these people. Right, and it's Lydia that kind of goes through the whole process of finding the handbook for the recently deceased and reading it. And discovering really what it's all about. And she could see them, although Charles and Delia can't. And it's, you know, whether it's because she's more open to it than they are, that's the way I took it as. Is that she's more open to the fact that they're ghosts. And she can communicate with them. As opposed to Charles and and Delia. And we have to take a moment. Say the quote, monkey. Come on, I know you want to say it. (laughs) What? About how... Uh, most people can't see the strange and unusual, but she is strange and unusual. <laughs> that one? Yeah, well, you know, live people ignore the strange and unusual. <laughs> I myself am strange and unusual. You know, so that's why you can see them. It's because she's fucking and, weird, man. And, <laughs> let's, and let's take a moment to appreciate all of the Lydia's that we've had in our lives because, come on, guys, we've known those goth chicks. We've hung out with those goth chicks. We've scored with those goth chicks. I fucking married one. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You married just, Lydia. Uh, yeah. You know, and we, come on, we all knew those goth chicks. The ones who listen to the Smiths and Depeche Mode, and they always keep a journal, you know, and King, I know you're all in on me with this one. Come on. <laughs> I am, yeah. Hooked up with a lot of goths back in middle school and high school. So I know I have plenty of Lydia's in my past. That was and see, for me, growing up in New York, you know, I, at this point when I saw this, I was living in Staten Island. There were, you know, I don't know, I didn't know any goth girls that were in my school, uh, which was PS32 and IS75. It was one or the other at the time. Um, no, so, you know, like now I'm with – you know, a, a goth-ish type chick, but no, nah, well, man. Well, not yeah, then. the ghoul gal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, indeed. But, you know, but, yeah, but, but, but prior to her, I think I'd only hooked up with one goth-style chick in that interim, and she was just as much goth as she was into the Seattle sound and everything. And what's even funnier is she actually has the exact same name as the cool girl. So that kind of, like, really, like, cemented that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. But then, like, uh, I was, like, doing research and stuff like that and found out is, like, you know, there, there was this meme going out there going, okay, you grew up as Lydia, but then like, but then you had to get a job, and life hit you, and then you found Valium, and now you found out you're Delia. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. You know, yeah, and, and, yeah because, and then when you contrast and compare, it's like because they really are both at, 
at the end of the spectrum and and creative and weird and goth in their own way, like obsessed with blacks and whites and stuff like that. And it's like I can definitely see how, uh, you know, Delia and Lydia are definitely cut, you know, from the same cloth. Yeah. And I want to talk about the introduction of Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice in this movie when they see the lights coming out from the model town that they had built. And they see that the grave has been put in there for Beetlejuice. And all you have to do is say his name three times. So Barbara's the one that says Beetlejuice three times. They get transported to the grave, which they have to dig up. So it's obviously it's the fake grass, it's the cardboard, it's everything underneath. And we have an introduction to Beetlejuice. I love that <laughs> As whole a fucking guy. scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love his introduction as a tour guide where he pops up with the hat and he's like, hey, you guys called me. How you doing? <laughs> like, well, we want to get these people out of our house. How do we do? He's like, oh, he hired me. He's like, what are your credentials? Well, I'll tell you. I went to the Black Plague. I went to Juilliard. I attended the Harvard Law School. I saw the Exorcist 167 times. It keeps getting funnier every time I see it. And then I mentioned I'm also a dead guy. <laughs> you know, like that's okay. going to be enough to sell but, them on the Okay, but are you scary? <laughs> well, how about this? And then when he pops the fucking claws out of his face. <laughs> okay. Well, that worked. And then we have to talk about this. Sure, take a second to yourself. And he tries to look under Barbara's dress. You know, get a little peek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you know we're going to do something different, Beetlejuice. We're, we're not against it. Come on. And then when he switches into Adam's outfit, the, the, you know, the flannel. Come on. We even shop at the same stores. Hermano. Come on. Him. Mono, come on. I'm trying to stake a deal here. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, Barbara's not having any of it, so she chants home, home, home three times and they get reverted back into the house. And Beetlejuice is like, I hope you guys like Italian. Hey, where'd you go? Hey, come on. I'm a professional here. Come on. Takes over the tree. (laughs) Nice fucking model. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hot sun's crying. I don't want that pervert anywhere near with you. Those are the moments that I remember the most as a kid were the ones with Mm -hmm. him, like, you know, just saying things like that. Like, cause again, you know, this coming out, I I might've been 10, you know? And yeah, had I heard a lot of foul mouth stuff, I, yeah, of course I'd seen a lot of dirty movies and things like that. Yet at the same time being there, and seeing a film that kind of felt taboo watching it just because of like little moments like that, he made it feel that way. And that was what yeah. was great. He was yeah. such a wild card. He said these things. He does that little yeah. thing. And I remember that being in the fucking in the commercial, the whole face thing. You know, yeah. he does the, you know how about this? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, dude, the nice fucking model thing. Yeah, I was dying. I remember like literally like yeah. having like. The inability to breathe. I was laughing so hard as a kid. And you cut to... Go ahead. um, No, I just want to say, because all those moments that Keaton has, like you said earlier, he owns the screen. He takes up all that time. But also, at the time, this was marketed as a family movie. You know, so when we... So they have to have a family movie? Yeah, so when the families are going to see this, and then this happens, everyone's like, what? And then those those of us, you know, kids that got to see it and stuff like that, it's like we're like, hey, yeah, 
you know. <laughs> I never even caught it as a kid, to be honest. I never caught it until I was a teenager that he said, nice fucking model. Like, I just thought it was a funny line when I was a kid. It wasn't until I was a teenager. Like, oh, my God, he said the F word. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. Uh, he said, nice fucking model. You know what, model. though? When you first yeah. watched this, did you watch it on TV? HBO. Okay. I was going to say, because you might not have gotten the F-bomb, you know? No, no, I got it. It was on HBO. I didn't get it because it was there, obviously, because it was HBO, but I didn't understand he said the F word until I was a teenager because I was just enjoying him being so fucking funny. <laughs> I just never registered that he said the F word. Like, yeah. I just, I was laughing. Like, I was just having a good time with what he was doing. I'm sorry, Mikey, I cut you off. No, you, no, you didn't. I wasn't saying anything. But that being said, though, I find it, like, funny once again that, you know, this – is like the inspiration for that Saturday morning cartoon is a nice fucking model. Hey, by the way, <laughs> eat, your, eat your cereal, and we got a new cartoon coming out <laughs> in a year on Saturday. Here's a Beetlejuice cereal. On NBC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we get the, the Deuces having uh, a dinner party with Otho and his girlfriend, and then Dick Cavett, of all people, showing up in this movie as, as uh, Delia's agent. Which I just love because he's a habit. I mean, he's, he's a classic person if you know him. But we also get our Deo sequence. By I Harry just always Belafonte, think of where... freaking Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three whenever yeah. I see Dick Cavett, man. I don't give a fuck what you think. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, but we get the Harry Belafonte Deo sequence where they dance around the table and they're having a Deo! good time with it. Deo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And the shrimp cocktail reaches up and grabs all of them. And instead of being scared, they fucking love it. They're like, I never even knew I could Calypso. This is so great. Like, why did we know about it yesterday? I loved it. Oh, oh crazy white people. <laughs> yeah. Let's make this an attraction. We could do the whole thing. We could make, like, we could charge money and people could come here. Like, this is great. Lydia, get your ghost friends. It's like, yeah, they don't want to hang out with you guys. There's. Nah. Come on! Well, get him! Here, here's the thing that I did find, and again, as I got older, it is something, I guess, that I can I can find to niggle a little bit about this. Okay. And I, I wasn't a big watcher of the cartoon, but eventually, you know, I did obviously catch a couple of episodes. I was kind of at that age where I was drifting away from certain Saturday morning cartoons uh, when that cartoon series started. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, though, you know, Lydia, especially in the cartoon series, was definitely a very little girl. And you hear it in the movie multiple times where Gina Davis calls her a little girl. Um, If you look it up, she's supposed to be 12. Um, Okay, I didn't know that. Which, you know, that's kind of odd being that, again, you have one on a rider playing her who was about 17 at the time. Doesn't look like a 12 year old. There's there's never a mention of it. So, doing a little bit of digging, what I actually found out originally, Lydia was just supposed to be an older sister, and there was going to be a younger sister, and she was Mm. the one that interacted with the Maitlands. And what was going to happen at that point, I think what happened is, is certain things got left into the movie, like them calling her a little girl. She was supposed to really be a little girl. She was only supposed to be like eight or nine. But instead, they Mm -hmm. they consolidated it into one character. And here you had, you know, a high teenage something, you know, playing a 
much younger role than, than she yeah. was capable of doing. You know, that, that's the thing. I just don't feel yeah. like Winona Ryder ever looks or acts like she's 12. And it definitely right. felt weird watching the cartoon where she's a little girl, like you had said, and she's friends with Beetlejuice. Knowing what happens mm-hmm. in the movie, why is she friends with the guy? Like, she would well, not be palling around with Beetlejuice. Like, she'd well, be like, yeah, get the fuck out there. Well, that's the other thing, though, is like the ghoul said, is uh, there was a younger daughter involved. But also, um, <laughs> part of the original writing was that Delia did go over to the other side, and um, the younger daughter stayed while Delia went over. Lydia. And, uh, sorry, Lydia, Lydia went, or actually Delia? went Lydia. over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, she she, di- she at the end of the original script, she dies and goes over, and then she, she hangs out with the Maitlands as like, kind of like their daughter. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, would have been a darker movie, I think, if that happened. Fuck. Well, you know? yeah, th- that was the original. Taking a little bit of a darker turn. Yeah, and then uh, Geffen was like, uh, like, no, we cannot do that. No, so we're gonna nix the little daughter, and we are definitely not gonna kill. <laughs> Her. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what I liked is the fact that after the whole Deo sequence, you have Beetlejuice attacking as a snake. He wraps up uh, Charles and throws him down the stairs. Oso gets thrown down the stairs. So he's being maniacal. He's being rambunctious. You know, not to what the Maitlands want. Like, they don't want all this. Like, they just, they want to scare him, but they don't want to kill him. They don't want to hurt him. But it's the fact that Beetlejuice is unleashed at this point. Like, you asked for my help, I'm giving it to you. But it's not the yeah, help that they want. Yeah, this is what I do. I've come for your daughter, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I love the way that he said that. But it's it's not what they want. Like, they, they don't want getting anybody hurt, you know, which is the biggest thing. And that's why when they go back to talk to people, they're like, what the fuck do you expect? You want them out, right? I told you I would help you. And I'm like, well, that's not the help that we wanted. <laughs> He's like, come on, you know, come on, I told you I would help you. Even at 10, man, that fucking snake was creepy. You know, as it was, the whole stop motion thing was kind of bizarre. But, you know, the look of that damn thing was just scary. The sharp teeth yeah, and is. all that. Yeah, it is. It's a great effect. You know, and, and I love when yeah. they go back to the model town that's in Bundy Beetlejuice. You know, when he stabs uh, Barbara through the hand with the spikes. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, you can't stop me. I'm, you, know, you called me. I'm here. But then you see the girls goes girls house. <laughs> you know, the like, oh hey, all right, ladies, all right, I'm coming for you, ladies. You know, and just <laughs> dancing towards that house, and then all of a sudden they disappear and they end up in Juno's office again with a group of football players that died in an accident, and their coach survived. And I love Juno talking to these football players. Coach, coach, uh, what are you supposed to do? Are we dead? I'm not your coach. He survived. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the men's room? I don't think Where's I... the men's room? Are you kidding me? Don't you read the signs? <laughs> I don't think we survived the crash, coach. You don't say. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I just love Juno interacting with him. So you you oh you let Beetlejuice in and he didn't put him back and he didn't read your book and now this is what's happening. So you know what? You need to take it upon yourself to scare them. Let's see your scary faces. <laughs> And it's a great well, the stop motion thing effect too, with, of that, with that crew, um, with that football team, and you know, I don't know, I don't know if you'd call it typecasting. Maybe you, you kind of do. The one guy they kind of they show him, the one that talks to her, is 
Dwayne Davis, who will go on to play Alvin Mack, another football player in one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest college football movies, the program. Oh, and what's funny okay. also is that the preacher <clears throat> that shows up at the end, the little midget ghost preacher, that's played by Tony mm-hmm. Cox from Bad Santa Fe. Oh, nice. Yep, that's, that's actually cool. Tony Cox from, from Bad oh, Santa. Wow. And uh, me, myself, and Irene, and a whole bunch of other movies. So, yeah, it's Tony Cox in that outfit. So that's why I thought it was kind of cool when I saw that in the credits. I was like, Tony Cox, I know that motherfucker. Name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, Juno says, I built a whorehouse for Beetlejuice because you guys fucked up. So he's going to be distracted <laughs> for a little while. You go scare them, and I'll deal with Beetlejuice. You just need to fucking clean this shit up. <laughs> deal with this. But it doesn't work. Again, they fail once again because they immediately see Lydia when they exit, and they're dressed up in their scary faces and stuff like that, which is a cool effect. I love the stop motion on, on Adam and Barbara, the way they make them look scary. I mean, it wouldn't scare me, but I guess somebody else probably would. It was a cool effect. And and again, yeah. it was like right, right up there with that Tim Burton style. Sorry, Ghoul, what were you going to say? No, again, I mean, see, that's the thing, though. We're sitting here saying, and it's right up there with that Tim Burton style. It's right up there with that <laughs> Tim Burton style. There was no Tim Burton style at this point. Nope. You know, this movie no. kind of made that Tim Burton style. Um, Batman was, you know, a, another year away. Um, right. You know, so, I mean, I'm sure it was in production, but, again, you figure if this came out in 88, this was being made in, with this kind of animation, probably 86 to 87, and then whatever they had to do to do the finishing touches, and then they moved on to Batman. Um, you know, prior to this is what? Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So yeah. You're absolutely right, Gulai, and I will take that back. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. This was establishing what we would consider Tim Burton. The you're Tim Burton right, style. You know, so that, yeah. that's kind of the thing. Unfortunately for Tim Burton, he never gets away from this. This is the movie that's going to define the look of everything that he's going to do. Even when people think of Batman, yeah, you know, the, the comic book that that people might sit, we might sit there and say, hey, you know, yeah, that's kind of Tim Burton's Batman. But a lot of people really just say, oh, you mean the Batman with Jack Nicholson in it? Or, oh, the Batman with Michael Keaton. You know, you don't mm-hmm. think the director as much as you think the characters, because the characters were established prior to the director. Um, that's why also people don't think of the other two as the Joel Schumacher ones, even though, you know, people that are in the know look at it that way. I'm talking like the average layperson doesn't look at Tony it. And by the director. You know, the, 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 the director's type of setup. Um, yeah. But, yeah, exactly. like, even Miss Peregrine's, you know, Burton, one of Burton's later movies, one that was just not too That's long ago, I enjoyed it. I really liked yep. the book series, and I was really hoping to see this get established into a franchise. And, you know, it was it was good, but not as good as the book. He changed certain characters around, which I know why he did it for story reasons. But mm-hmm. it Again, as a fan of the book, it made it like kind of hard to just take because of like how much the investment we had for the characters, and the cool girl feels the yeah. same way with it. So, I mean, we saw it in the movies. We own it. I've watched it maybe like once since since we bought it. So, um, and we also failed yeah. to mention that Otho found the guidebook I love Otho. in the attic. I love <laughs> Gwen Shaddix's Otho is probably one of my favorite fucking characters ever. 
especially at one of the dinners where he talks about how in 1972 he was a part in New York, a part of like a theater group, and then he became known as a paranormal investigator. So I was like, yeah, the Warrens. <laughs> so I don't know if that was Tim Burton's kind of jab at the Warrens, but I was like, yeah, him basically being theatrical and saying, oh, I'm a paranormal investigator, you know, and I'll find your ghosts. Like that's the way I took it. Is that it was a funny little jab at ghost hunters mm. and, and people like uh, Ed Lorraine Warren. But it was funny because he takes that book and now he's reading through it and realizing that he could probably create a seance. And that's what we Even chose he can't to invite. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, the fact that Robert Goulet plays Maxie Dean in the movie, you know, a guy oh, that God. presumably the boss of Charles. That's why I took it as. Yes. When Charles was yeah. doing real estate, that was his boss. And now he wants to impress him. He's like, we could take this whole town and we could do this to this building right here. We could knock it right down and build this. We could do all this. He's like, yeah, guys, can you just show me the proof that there's ghosts? Because that's the entire reason I'm here. And that's where I was like, Maxie Dean, I'm right there with you, man. Show me proof. That's all I want. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Maxie Dean. Fucking love that name. <laughs> Maxie Dean. You know, and it's like, show us this proof and we'll believe you and we'll buy into this whole thing that you have for building up this town and this house and building an attraction. And that's where you get Otho creating a seance for Barbara and Adam using their wedding attire, the suit and the dress. And it works. He manages to make it work. So you have Barbara basically coming into form in front of all these people in her wedding dress, but completely deteriorating as soon as she gets into that wedding dress. Because she's dying. You know, this is you're you're seancing them into the realm of the living, but they're dying because of that. And I love that. Right. Like, I thought it was and, a cool thing. And we missed it earlier, but the thing is there there's a special purgatory in the afterlife, um, for souls that have been exorcised. And oh, yeah. yep. the, the, and the lost souls. that is yeah, the lost souls room that's a special place just for them. And in the afterlife of the souls that have been exorcised, and yeah. while being seanced, yeah, you know, it is forcing them to become exorcised as well. And while this whole sequence, I I really fucking loved the effect of it, yeah. man. Of you know <clears throat> them coming, uh, form, forming up into their wedding clothes, and then quickly, quickly deteriorating. Some of the effects on the faces, like we're a little bit aging, but at the same time, in my opinion, we're still really fucking solid, man. They were, they were really good. Um, but this is also you get Lydia finally making that deal with people use. Like she had talked to him earlier, she almost said his name three times, but then she said, "You know what? I got to talk to Barbara about this." Well, come on, you don't need to talk to Barbara. Come on, come on. Like you know, let me out. <laughs> but now she's finally making that deal. He's in his, you know, white and black striped suit, classic look for Beetlejuice that everybody knows. And mm-hmm. she says, okay, well, if you're going to save the Maitlands, I'll say your name three times. He's like, yeah, that's great. I can save them. But here's the thing. you got to marry me first because that's part of the deal. <laughs> you know, in order for me to save them, i kinda, I kind of got to marry you. She's like, fine, whatever. Say my name. <laughs> and I just love it when she goes, Beetlejuice, 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 it's showtime. <laughs> so fucking good. Yeah. Cue the Danny Elfman theme song for Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> and let him come up through the model. 
dressed up like a you know a boardwalk fucking you know prize <laughs> where he inflates the fucking arms. They look like hammers, and he's like, hey, all right, step right up, step yeah. right up, folks. Who's going to be the next winner? And Robert Goulet, <laughs> Max Dean, and his wife are standing up against the devil fucking things for the hammer, how strong are your arms? They get blasted off, and you never hear from them again. They're dead. Nope. <laughs> but, 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 they, unfortunately, dead. Like, but unfortunately, it all starts off with a joke, which no one's going to get anymore. And unfortunately, that's like one of the few things that have aged with this movie is the whole thing about Jason Kmart shoppers. You know? Oh, my God. Yeah, the, the camera shoppers thing. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, unfortunately, no one's going to get it. Yeah, but <clears throat> no. Strowman, yes. I, again, we're going into, you know, Tim Burton with his, you know, car- carnival style feel um, of just weirdness. So, yes, you know, keep it rolling. Let's keep the effects going because <laughs> at this point, I'm having a great fucking ride. <laughs> And then when he, he went, after he kills Maxie Dean and his wife, you know, he returns back to his normal form, and then he reaches out to Lydia and Delia and Charles. He's like, come on, Dad, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm coming for your daughter, Chuck. And she's automatically in that red wedding dress. <laughs> come on. Loved it. And he's wearing that Loved maroon it. fucking suit with the white shoes. <laughs> like, you know, all ready to go. He's got snakes in every pocket for some reason. I loved it. <laughs> Every pocket recently well, got snakes. Well, it's because he's he's looking for the ring, and then he pulls it out and hits on a de- a dead woman's finger. It's like, come on, baby, give me anything to me. Come on. <laughs> I promise you. I promise you. Yeah, I don't know because we've, we've all been there. We've all been there. But at the same time, when, you have Barbara and Adam revitalized, so they're trying to stop people just by saying his name three times, and he keeps stopping them at every turn. Adam is immediately transported to the model. Barbara is has a zipper mouth where she tries to say Beetlejuice two times. On the third, she gets the metal plate over her mouth. He can't say it. He transports her to Saturn. So I was like, deal with the sandworm, bitch. I got to get married. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, <laughs> what the fuck is going to happen next? Because now you have the final rights of Beetlejuice and Lydia. Covers her mouth, but she doesn't say his name. Just, I love him so much, and I commit my life to him because he's the man I love. <laughs> I love that man of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you have Adam who's transported to a small town, but he realizes he can use the red pickup truck and just drive it for some reason to just bang in the Beetlejuice's foot. Like that's his entire plan. I'm just gonna drive it in his foot and that's gonna fucking make him mad. <laughs> and that's what's gonna stop uh, him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's like we got to round up the movie, so we got to sit there and figure out something. So go ahead. Just it's drive Barbara it Barbara who fucking strong arms it. Barbara fucking strong yeah. arms the fucking sandworm. She goes riding yeah. in on it like a fucking Valkyrie in the fucking storm. <laughs> and that fucking sandworm. Gina Davis, man. Yeah. What do you expect, dude? Uh, love it, though. It's just the fact that she's riding into the fucking sandworm and it eats fucking Beetlejuice. And it's like, that's it. Got him. <laughs> you know, he's destroyed, and you know we could finally just live without Beetlejuice. I love the fact that the preacher stands there for like two minutes, going, uh, "Somebody going to pay me?" Or uh, well, the, because because after Beetlejuice goes down into the pit of fire, we have this weird moment where, yes, like you said, the preacher standing there, 
The Maitlands are standing there. The Deetons are standing there. And now everybody sees everybody. And all of yeah. this weirdness that happens, everyone now truly sees everyone else. And this is the, the ending I want to talk about. It's fucking because deep, you have <clears throat> The finale of the film <laughs> is you have Lydia, who is now in the school for girls, you know, wearing her uniform and coming back home. You have Barbara and Adam in their house. They're reforming it back to the way they wanted it with all the original wallpaper. Rescue me from L.L. Bean. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is is that what what is going on with Charles and Delia? Like are they just okay living now with these ghosts? Or are they dead? Like I couldn't figure it out. I'm like they're not dead. They didn't get killed. I guess they're just okay living with Charles uh, with uh, Adam and Barbara and letting them kind of live in their house. Well, it was kind of well, a weird okay. ending. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. This is how I took it, okay? Is all right. Delia never wanted to be a stepmom, okay? Charles right. doesn't yep. really want doesn't really want to be a dad. He just sits there and wants to have his moment of, you know, being country bumpkin, you know, bird watching and shit like that. I want my wow. space. <clears throat> Damn it. Yes. I want to look at child okay. porn. He wants his space, all right? And <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> sorry. And and Delia <laughs> wants her No, and Delia wants her space because she wants to create She's only happy when she truly creates, okay? Right. So she wants a studio. She wants a studio, you know, and Chuck, you know, he just wants to bird watch, all right? While the Maitlands were the ones who truly wanted a child. They always did. They covered that at the very beginning of the movie. They get a child now, all right? So now they have the opportunity to be the parents to Lydia that, that they've never been able to be before. So I have a feeling that, um, you know, Lydia's real parents don't really want to be her parents, but the Maitlands really, really do, and that's why yeah, they because Charles didn't have a problem with Lydia. Like Charles loved her. Like you know, it's not like Charles had a problem with her. Like he sided with her a lot of times over Delia. Yeah, but it's a, so yes, but yes, but it was over Delia. But it wasn't like hey, let's be a family or anything like that. It was let's <laughs> do the path of least resistance, while the Maitlands. Truly mm, wanted a child and, tru- and truly a wanted a family. Right. <laughs> Hated having a stepdaughter. Um, but yeah, she gets home and she talks about how, you know, she got a C in her science exam because they had to dissect a frog. And she said it was against her religion. But yet she got an A in her math test. You know, and she's like, Can I do it? Like, I don't know. You got a C in your math test. She's like, Come on. Barbara, come on. <laughs> you know, you didn't get very well in science either. And she's like, okay, guess we have to let him do it. And Harry Belafonte closes out this movie with Jump in the Line. I fucking love this <laughs> song. Ah. It's such I a great way to end up. It was fun. And this movie also introduced me to Harry Belafonte, which I fucking love. Me too. I, I, I like yeah. him. I like Harry Belafonte. It's like. You know, and it's like it introduced me to Harry Belafonte, and thank you, Tim Burton, for doing such a weird choice of soundtrack, because yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 yeah, it was just awesome. But, but meanwhile, we'll we'll do the, yeah, because I was gonna say, meanwhile, in the waiting room, while the music's still playing, <laughs> Beetlejuice is there, hanging out. Go ahead, King. <laughs> yeah, and he's sitting there. Against the, the hunter with the shotgun head and the voodoo doctor, waiting for his turn, I guess, to see Juno. 
and he has like nine trillion, three hundred million, six hundred thousand to wait. And the witch doctor has <laughs> over four. So he's like, God damn. All right. Uh, hey, uh, hey, buddy. Uh, why don't you look over there? Hey, Elvis. Hey, there's the king. Look, <laughs> well, well, I'm, uh, I'm next. <laughs> oh, yep. Oh, I'm gonna take the next one. Hey, what are you doing over there with that with that, that thing? Oh, my hair, my hair, my head, my head, man, my head. And it shrinks <laughs> down just like the, the the hunter. You know what? This could be a good look for me. <laughs> and meanwhile, in the living world, you have Woody who can fucking fly now, <laughs> which she can apparently float, which is cool, I guess, but never explained. But she can now have the power of flight, like Tenacious no, D said. <laughs> They're they're using their powers. This is their and their advanced powers now because they know what the fuck they're doing and they're using her to rise her up and possess stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, just like they made the whole sequence happen earlier in the movie. Exactly. They're using their powers to make this happen, man. You know. So I love the fact that they brought the football team back, though. Because they're like the football team needs to have a (laughs) because yeah because they got to jump with the line, man. I mean, yes. you know, Ghoul, I thought this was like the perfect way to end the movie. Beetlejuice gets a kind of a happy ending, and the Maitlands and Lydia and Billy and Charles all get a happy ending. You know, I, I liked it. Like, it's a, a fun kind of child-friendly movie, but also gets a kind of good ending. I don't know if I would say that Beetlejuice gets a happy ending. I mean, his head gets shrunk. You know, I mean, the I mean, guy tries to it. skip it. What's up? He says it's a good look for me. Well, he says maybe it's a good look for me. Uh, we we don't yeah, know how he's going to deal have a shot with it. With GQ. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, no. This is again, it's a it's a fun ride the whole way through. Everything wraps up neatly. I know they're they're always talking about doing a sequel for it. Um, you know, I don't know. A part of me hopes that it never happens because I just don't want no. anything to come out that's going to possibly damage this. And obviously nothing can really do that. This movie cemented as what it is, but yeah. I would like to to keep it that way. But at the same time, you know, I, I might not mind seeing what, if they have something original and Michael Keaton is, uh, you know, we, we've seen him still be able to pull off performances. So he was, he was great in homecoming. Spider-Man. He was good in Birdman. Yeah. Yeah, Birdman I love. Like, that's one of those offbeat movies that nobody really has seen except for, like me. I'm like, dude, you have mm-hmm. to see Birdman. Like, it's so good. He's at his top in this movie. Um, but, yeah, Michael Keaton's always been game to go back to play Beetlejuice. He's always said he would. You know, it's not like he's saying, I never want to play that character again. It's over. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always been game to go back, which I think is really great. But it's just it's amazing to watch Beetlejuice knowing that this is 1988 and then the following year, he's going to be motherfucking Batman. <laughs> he's going to be Batman. Like, you know, just watching this movie, this crazy, zany character is going to be Bruce Wayne the following year. Like, it's amazing when I watch right. it now. But then it was funny because his performance for all 18 minutes that he was in this movie was so yeah. fucking solid that when it came time for Batman to come out, and everyone was like, yeah, and he's going to be Batman. And everyone was like, Beetlejuice is going to be Batman? You know? Well, they didn't think he could do it because of Mr. Mob. Remember a lot of people thinking that he couldn't be Batman because of Mr. Mob. Remember that was a big argument back in the day. Like, how could fucking Mr. Mob be Batman? Like, easily. He's fucking great. <laughs> he nailed that character. 
through and through for two movies. And I think Tim Burton did Batman Returns too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he did. He, yep. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, Tim Burton did the first two Batman movies. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing Batman but, two in theaters and going, Oh my god, why did the fuck he take his mask off at the end? Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> but but that pretty much wraps up Beetlejuice. Alright. So, so, next Ho. week, Monkey, it is your Ho pick. Ho is another so, what do you got Michael for? Keaton movie. I, I will not argue that. Yeah. But next week is my <laughs> pick. All right. And Michael um, Keaton White Noise yeah. next week. <laughs> 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 you totally got that, man. Keaton, no. the dream team. Uh, <laughs> the dream team. No. Yes. No, but no, but but the thing is Multiplicity. next week uh the d- oh, yeah. actually <laughs> I actually like that movie. I actually do. She touched Ooh, my pee pee Steve. <laughs> she touched my pee pee Steve. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> speaking of touching pee pee's, uh let, let's see Touch here. Some funky shit's going to some funky shit's gonna happen next week because we are still missing the doc and we gotta go looking for him. Unfortunately, we have to go looking for him in this big scary mansion in the middle of a rain rainstorm, and in that mansion is the mansion of Doctor Frankenfurter. And oh no! Next w- and next week, my darlings, <laughs> yes. We are oh, doing the time war <laughs> because we are doing a Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time ever. Oh, <laughs> We're doing the time warp next week. <laughs> you we are doing the time warp, warp, my darling. You <laughs> the doors out. Looks <laughs> <laughs> well, like it's going to be me and you, Bucky, next week. <laughs> hey, it's all right. <laughs> we'll make it work. I, Rocky Horror Picture I Show. Can't. Next week. I can't believe you don't like me that much, man. That's just terrible. It's so mean. <laughs> well, what? the way that you reacted, it was just a slow degeneration into the house. God. <laughs> it's just a Frank and Fergus. Look, ne- ne- next week, it's just a jump to the left and a step to the right. <laughs> oh, God. Shut <laughs> my mouth now. <laughs> All right. So, Lucky, why don't you go ahead and check out? Until next week, when we meet for your pick next week, a Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> yeah, you know what? All right, my dar- all right, my darling. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is your maniacal mad monkey saying, "Tune in next week when we cover the Rocky Horror Picture Show." In the meantime, if you want to sit there and get your super super hot chick or guy into some clothes that might be in Rocky Horror Picture Show, maybe you should listen to the Ghoul. No, fuck that, okay? Because right off the rip here. You know how hardcore I am, man? This is how hardcore I am for this goddamn show. Okay, I being that I have to watch this fucking movie for next week, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to check the AMC theaters. It's Halloween. They've got to be showing Rocky Horror. They'll be there. Sure shit, they are. And I've never seen yep. it in the fucking theater before, and I figure that's the experience you're supposed to have. You right? fucking love yeah, it. Yeah, I nice. love it. Except for, the, yeah, except for the fact that there's fucking seven people in the entire theater, man. So that's not going to be a fucking fun time. Seven? That's not going to be That's how you... That's Yes, seven. Okay, so once... Yeah, right? Three plus four equals seven. I would make eight. That's not a party. Okay? I don't know the fucking things. I want to go watch other people do the things. So I'll yeah. just watch this at home and suffer silently. I saw Rocky Horror last year. Weep. I saw Rocky Horror live last year and there was well over 100 people. It was a fucking experience. You definitely have I'll to try to find something. Not more than four people. I'm <laughs> around. All right, we want to hear for the plug as a plug out. 
I knew somebody in Maryland that did this for a living or some shit, so or, or, or for fun. But anyway, you know what, everybody? See, look, the monkey's got me all kinds of crazy right now because of this. This is what the monkey does. He makes me crazy. And when I'm crazy, you know what happens? I forget things. But I'm not going to forget this. Go to Bonfire Beat Designs and go buy shit for Christmas for your significant other. The holidays, you know, are you Jewish? Do you celebrate Hanukkah? We don't have Hanukkah stuff, but we've got stuff that people like. Chinese shit. It's pretty. People like it. Go ahead. Go to Bonfire Bead Designs on Etsy. All one word, Bonfire Bead Designs. And buy something. Hurry up and buy. Hurry up and buy. Get you buy now. You buy now. Get Goulade. <laughs> you buy now. And stay tuned for something cool coming from me and the king real soon, everybody. <laughs> It's gonna be really fucking rad. I can't wait to talk about it more with the with the ghoul. We got something fun for you guys coming up. So can't wait to discuss it more. All right. So until next week, meet. Why don't you hit us with that plug? That famous uh, fucking catchphrase of yours, ghoul. Well, I already said it, but you know what? I'll say it again. Stay scared, everybody. Stay scared. Keep America strong. Keep watching horror movies. Happy Halloween to all of our listeners. We hope you have a good one. And like the ghoul said, stay tuned because he and I got something great for you.